0: Hello, and welcome to the Let's Talk EU podcast, which keeps you abreast of everything that is happening around EU policymaking and beyond. Today, I have with me Rodri Priest, a very good colleague of mine who is Senior Head of Research at the CFA Institute and the author of the Enhancing Investors Trust report and survey. Welcome, Rodri. It's great to have you here.
1: Hello, Josina, great to spend some time with you today talking about our trust study.
0: Lovely. We've been colleagues for a long time. Um, we've seen the convolutions of policy making around investors um, and it's, it's a very difficult topic. Do you stimulate markets? Do you favor free liberal markets? Do you protect investors in spite of themselves as we start to see with some of the gamification challenges? And for CFAS2, this is really a key matter. As a reminder to our listeners, our mission statement says that we look at finance for the ultimate benefit of society. And we really look to investors' trust and protection as a key heart of everything we do when we look at policy making. It is a time which is very complicated when we speak about trust. We've just at the tail end, we're at the tail end of a COVID period, I'm saying, saying tail end, because I think we're not out of it yet. We're 10, 12 years after the financial crisis, when many issues regarding investor protection aren't solved yet. And we see that specifically at the EU um, EU level, when the retail services agenda will be coming out early in 2023. And uh, of course, we have a war and geopolitical issues, which also highly affect markets and investor protection, as we... See investors look to um, maybe gain a little bit more and protect their pensions and maybe diversify and advisors have a difficulty in knowing what is their investor profile what is the best advice they can give so rodri when we look at this investor latest investor custody because i think this is the fifth edition for cfa institute and you've worked together with other institutes at some times or other The level of trust uh, today in 2022 compared to previous years, how do you see that? Is it very different and has COVID-19 impacted on the level of investor trust?
1: Thanks, Justina. So what we find in our 2022 trust study is that trust amongst both retail and institutional investors is actually up. It's increased fairly significantly from the last time we conducted this survey back in 2020. The survey results were compiled towards the start of this year. So uh, much of the survey data points precede the market uh, sell-offs that we've seen um, in more recent months due to the the change in the macroeconomic environment and the monetary policy stance of major central banks. So when the survey was conducted, it was at a time when markets were very strong. Um, So that is one important uh, point to note when we we interpret and analyze the results. But nonetheless, it's good to note that um, trust is up across the board. In financial services, trust among retail investors is at 60%, so that's 60% of survey respondents saying that they had high or very high trust in financial services, up 14 percentage points from the 2020 comparison. And um, among institutional investors, trust is at 86%, so that is an all-time high of 21 percentage points compared with 2020. And to put this in some bigger historical context, you mentioned at the start that this is the the fifth time we've conducted this exercise. The first trust study was published in 2013. And um, at that time, we were just a few years following the global financial crisis. We were in the middle of the European sovereign debt crisis or just sort of towards the, the back end of that episode. And trust in financial services was very low, almost the lowest Certainly the lowest amongst our um, survey history, but in relative terms, uh, trust in financial services was almost the lowest amongst all of the different industry sectors that we analyzed at that time. Um, and since 2013, we've seen financial, trust in financial services rise steadily up the rankings um, to where it is today, which is at its all-time highest point. So that is, that is encouraging to see that we've come off the back of the pandemic. Yes, we've had some favorable market dynamics for the most part, between 20 and 22, but that is translating into you know, higher trust in financial services amongst retail and institutional investors.
0: I, I love the analogy you drew to the first study, which came out in 2013. And as you were speaking, I was reminded of that work we did back in 2013 also with the Economist Intelligence Unit, where we surveyed 550 middle to senior of management in financial services firms mostly in the UK, but in four other areas of the globe. Uh, And I particularly remember one comment by the head of the HR association in London, who when interviewed said, well, actually, if we want to change the financial services, we need to recruit a completely different type of people, which it was really quite, that marked me as as a comment. And I think now, put a fast forward on that and in a covid survey we did at the cfa institute at the very beginning of the covid pandemic in in march 2020 there is a grid there which looks at at how our members globally are looking at, at regulation and i i thought it was interesting to see that our members think that we should be working together with the regulator to solve issues because um post post crisis post 2008 Um, It was definitely a very different uh, kettle of fish. There was a sort of um, a standoff between the industry and regulators. Regulators holding a stick to regulate as much as possible, and the industry wanting to keep the freedom and the way to to do whatever they wanted. When we speak about differences in trust, though, and and I think also your trust surveys have been um, showing... What is expected and what is the reality, and I think that is in, there in a in the past survey two surveys ago I think, where it was quite interesting to see that in on in the institutional investors between the gap between the expectation and what they were getting in terms of services and confidence was narrower than between the for the retail investor. Are you seeing differences in, in that as well?
1: So we we've looked at kind of what are the drivers of trust, if you like, and and sort of measured. Um, what are kind of the, you know, table stakes, the the, the baseline expectations for investors are amongst a variety of dimensions for trust. So things like, you know, my, my my manager, in the case of an institutional investor, or my advisor, in the case of a retail investor, is trusted. I trust my advisor or manager to act in my best interest. I believe that they have the ability to achieve high returns. They're committed to ethical conduct. You know, these are some of the the kind of cornerstones, if you like, of trust in an advisor or a manager. And we see generally that advisors and managers score well on all of those dimensions, and again, that's up compared to 2020. So more than a third of retail investors say that you know they trust their advisor to act in their best interests, and over a fifth say that they're confident in the ability of their advisor to achieve high returns. We do see higher trust levels amongst retail investors that have a financial advisor than those that don't have an advisor. So there is roughly a 20 percentage points gap between the trust in uh, the financial services sector as a whole for retail investors that have an advisor compared with those that don't have an advisor. So while at the headline level, certainly there is high trust, there is confidence in some of the basic tenets of trust around ability to achieve good returns, to act ethically and in the client's best interest. Those headline figures do mask some underlying differences when you compare retail investors with and without an advisor.
0: Rodri, I'm also going to ask you for some digging into generational issues because when you mentioned to me that in the retail segment, there is more trust with a financial advisor, we've also seen that with a baby boom generation, they're more used to using financial advisors. The younger generations, generation. X or Z or whatever, I can get lost, they, um, they, they use their phones for all knowledge and don't go online to seek that knowledge and don't really um, distinguish between Kim Kardashian advising on crypto perhaps and um, a reputed financial advisor. What are the differences you can see in generations there?
1: So when we look at the trust responses across different generations um you know it's interesting we, we do see a variety of responses depending on the type of question that we ask but if we take this example that you're talking about here around social media the use of trading technology having a retail trading account generally we see you know, higher proportions of younger investors having retail trading accounts having trust in digital nudges um uh believing that the use of retail Tools and trading apps enhance their understanding of investing uh, and actually trading more frequently as a result of um, you know, some of the gamified practices that social that um, retail trading platforms offer, as well as the the rising influence of social media. So there is generally a more comfort with use of greater use of technology tools, let's say, amongst younger generation investors than amongst older investors. Um, older generational cohorts tend to prefer relying on traditional advice channels, the human touch if you like, whereas younger investors generally across the different markets that we've analyzed in this study. So there's more than 15 different geographic markets covered. Generally younger generation investors are more comfortable with technology, have higher trust in technology, and, you know, more predisposed to having retail trading accounts and trusting in some of the digital nudges and tools used by those platforms. So I would say technology is, is sort of the, one of the main you know, variables where you do see uh, a greater difference between um, older investors and, and younger generation investors in terms of their trust in financial services.
0: And of course, in order to in order to really look at this sort of the differences for retail investors, generational, but even by geographical area, we have to look at what's happening with ESG investing. Some regulators have said there is a tsunami uh, of greenwashing. Others have, say, have said, we now see asset managers and advisors going the other way and, and going into green bleaching, giving too little information. So again, what, what is the level of trust on, on ESG and, and what are you seeing on greenwashing practices?
1: So generally, ESG investing, you know, is seen to increase trust, or or the ability to offer ESG products and strategies is seen to increase the trust of end investors. We found in our survey that seventy-seven percent of retail investors have interest in ESG investing strategies. That rises to one hundred percent amongst institutional investors. So all of the institutions surveyed say they are interested. They are either interested in investing or allocating money to. ESG politics and strategies, or they're already investing in, in that fashion. When we look at the motivations for investing in ESG, roughly two thirds of institutions say that they expect ESG investing to result in higher risk adjusted returns so that their interest and trust comes from a belief that incorporating ESG factors into the investment process will ultimately improve risk adjusted returns. On the retail side, however plurality of investors say that they want to express personal values or invest in companies that have a positive impact on society or the environment. So the motivations differ somewhat between institutional and retail investors, but nonetheless, both types of investors are very interested in ESG. Now, when it comes to greenwashing, we ask the question around, do you trust the ESG messaging or net zero pledges by firms? And uh, we found that eighty seven percent of institutional investors said, yes, they are likely or very likely to trust ESG messaging and net zero pledges. But that drops at only forty six percent amongst retail investors. So quite a stark difference there between retail and institutional investors and their beliefs and trust around potential issues of of greenwashing
0: i'm 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 quite surprised by the high level of trust of institutional investors because, the UK not-for-profit research think tank on on ESG carbon tracker um, published that, uh, in fact, when you look at the annual results of seventy-five percent of the uh, LSE quoted company, biggest quoted companies, the financial reporting financial reporting not even non-financial financial reporting wasn't accurately reflecting some of the risks and issues around environment and climate, and I think you know, what you highlight is that maybe retail investors are more cautious in a way. I don't know, I've, I've, I'm, I'm quite, I am quite puzzled by the high level of trust of institutional uh, investors, I have to say, and I think the regulators are as well.
1: Yeah, I think that is one of the more interesting findings of the survey. I mean, generally it's consistent with the higher trust levels amongst institutional investors compared with retail. But certainly it's, it's a stark difference, and you know, that's something I think that regulators should, should want to examine a little bit more and, um, and get to the bottom of, I think.
0: Yeah, I would agree with you. And I think the European Securities Market Authority, ESMA, in its q a is trying to build up evidence and case studies in order to, so I, I call upon listeners, um, bring case studies to the attention of the European regulator. They want to know what's happening. I'm going to pick up on the, on the point of technology because you mentioned it and said, you know, the younger generations are more at ease with technology, so they'll go to an app or they'll they'll go online. You know, I think also in your department, you recently completed a study on artificial intelligence and ethics. Um, do you think and do investors believe that technology can really replace human advice?
1: So that's an interesting question. And we sort of explore this dynamic a little bit in the trust survey. So we, we say in three years time, which will be more important to you, having access to a person to help you navigate what is best for you and to to execute on your investment strategy or having access to the latest technology platforms and tools to execute your strategy. And for the first time in the series of the trust study, we find that more investors say that having access to the latest technology platforms and tools to, to execute their investment strategy will be more important than having access to a person. So that statistic is actually 56% of respondents saying having access to the latest technology will be more important than having access to a human. Now, to get more directly at your question, will technology and machines ultimately replace the role of the human advisor? We don't think that is the case. So as you are saying, we've been looking at this issue Um, through a number of research papers around the role of AI in investment management. And we actually believe that the combination of both artificial intelligence and human intelligence, or to use the acronym AI plus HI, um, is actually more effective than either the reliance on humans alone or artificial intelligence alone. Really, the combination of the two provides for a more effective overall solution to creating investment strategies and products to serve the client best interests. If we think about why that might be, it's really about understanding what are the kind of complementary cognitive capabilities of humans and machines. Machines are very good at conducting repetitive tasks. Machine learning algorithms are very good at uncovering patterns and understanding features in data and coming up with optimal solutions. But it's really the human that can provide the right situational uh, context around the you know the particular use case of, of an AI tool, humans can provide that kind of ethical overlay, that understanding of what is in the client's best interest. You know, is my investment process fair? Do I have this duty of loyalty to clients? And that's something that machines currently can't really embed into their thinking and actions. So I think it's very important that this combination of both humans and machines can work together effectively and ultimately deliver solutions that are in the client's best interest. And that's really where we believe the future to be when it comes to the increasing role and adoption of AI technology in the investment process.
0: I'm glad to see that we're not wiping out humanity yet. So that's really encouraging, I have to say. But of course, another consequence of, of the increased use of artificial intelligence and technology is that costs will be driven down. And we still see, at least in the EU, there's a huge debate ongoing about costs and charges, with a lot of stakeholders weighing in on behalf of the investors saying, it's not cl- clear, it's still okay, there's too much. And um, on part of the industry saying, well, we've we've given so much clarity. The regulator has tried to do it through its different pieces of regulation. We've just seen also, I think in the last couple of weeks, the European Commission came out with a study on cost and charges and inducements. Should they? Should the EU as a whole ban inducements? It's because, of course, inducements have been banned in the UK back in 2011, I think, and then 2013 by the Dutch regulatory authority, the AFM. So the debate is still out and will be quite hotly led, I think, in the first quarter of 2023, what is your opinion on that? And of course, I remember, Rodney, that you and I were working on a study on inducements back in 2013, so time to memory.
1: Yeah, well, you know, it's the whole area of costs is obviously very important because it's one of the the key determinants of of value for money. And that in itself is one of the drivers of, of trust. If you're an investor, you want to feel that you're getting good value for the money that you're paying for a product or service, and so that you know the the fee and the returns that your client, uh, sorry, that your advisor is generating on your behalf relative to the fees being charged is one of those crucial determinants. Now, we do just back to the trust study survey points. We do see that fees generally across the 15 geographic markets we've studied have continued to come down. There has been that that compression in fees that's driven by the continued rise of, of passive investing and the competitive pressures that that places on the fees charged by actively managed funds. And that fee compression has translated into better value for money, arguably. And that in turn is, is probably one of the factors why we see trust increasing in 2022 compared to 2020. But again, like many of these data points, there's significant variation across markets. And in the EU context, I think it's true that fees charged on funds, and I've seen some studies by ESMA on this, For actively managed funds, you know, are generally high compared to their counterparts in other developed markets, such as the United States. So, you know, that speaks to the fragmentation of Europe, of European funds market. generally smaller sizes of funds in terms of the AUM that they, that those funds uh, are managing and fees arguably have more room to come down in the coming years. But nonetheless, your know, trust is, is, as I said, higher in the current period. And I think that it owes in part to the continued downward pressure on fees and the perception on the, on the part of retail investors, at least, that they're getting better value for money from those investments. And on the institutional side, we also found that, again, we're seeing a higher proportion of institutional investors saying that they managed to renegotiate the fees that, they, that their managers. Are charging them over the past two years. Again, there is more more bargaining power on the part of larger institutional investors, and they are more active in those conversations with their managers to renegotiate those fees to a level that is you know ex- acceptable and and appropriate given the investment strategies pursued. The so thirty fee compression is a factor playing into the higher trust.
0: And I I would I would say that this debate will also be taken into account when. We know that esma and the European Commission, for example, are taking a renewed look at how to coordinate investor education at a European level. And of course, you know, an investor that is educated and understands, at least to ask the right questions about what the charges are, you don't have to understand fully the whole package. But as long as you know how to ask the right questions, you build up a better relationship because there is a more openness and that that is a valuable issue. And I think This coming to the end of of our chat, I think we need a balance between that, in that famous triangle between product governance, the right product governance, the right product for the right investor, the fiduciary duty of an an advisor, being responsible and helping your client and investor education. If that, if if regulators and the industry find that right balance, we're on the right way. And do you think we are on the right way?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I think you know, again, if you, if you sort of look through the historical lens of the last, you know, eight to 10 years, I think we've seen an, you a know, number of improvements there in terms of, you know, the, the quality of disclosures, the value for money delivered to end clients. But as I said, I think there's more room room to go there in terms of further reductions in fees. I think what, one other point is aside from the discussion around fees and public governance is market access. So again, I think that's another factor why we're seeing higher trust and more comfort in technology amongst younger generational investors is because uh, you know new retail trading platforms, your fund supermarkets, uh, digital platforms are in- just increasing the ease and, and ability for younger generational investors to allocate money to the capital markets at relatively low cost. So it's, you know, technology improves transparency, it boosts market access, um, in turn, it's leading to a further downward pressure on fees and costs. We're seeing you know, zero commission brokers being you know, almost the norm in parts of Europe, as well as you know, other developed markets now as well. And again, those factors are all playing into the improvements in trust. So I think there's been a number of positive developments over the past eight to 10 years, and, it, and, and the trajectory is certainly one that is heading in the right direction of, of better value for money, more product choice, greater transparency. And, and all in the pin by, you know, the, the increased use of technology and underpinning how investors you know, invest and, and and gain access to products and markets.
0: Rodri, it's been great chatting to you. As always, I learn a lot, and I think our listeners have learned as well about the different challenges. But if you as a listener want to find out more about uh, some of the other studies you mentioned about artificial intelligence and ethics, but... dig deeper into the trust study, which is called Enhancing Investors Trust, you can find it all on our CFA Institute website. And I do encourage you to look. There's such a wealth of information that we have. And Rodri, I look forward to the next thesis of research. Thank you very much for being with me. Thanks. Thank
1: you, Josina.